All right. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we've come before you and we thank you for another evening together to look into your word, a time to worship you and declare truth in our worship of you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that in this time that you would soften our hearts, all of our hearts, that we'd be molded more and more into the likeness of Jesus, that we'd be confronted and convicted where necessary. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage us where necessary, all with the purpose that we would become more like Jesus. And Holy Spirit, as you do this and make much of Christ, we pray that this would happen to the glory of the Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. So, so far we've looked at tr the truth of God, the truth of Scripture, and now we get to the one that Scripture speaks about. All the law and the prophets point to Jesus. Friends, he's the central point of all of human history. Do you realize that our calendar system used to be, quote unquote, used to be based upon his, his coming? B.C., A.D., it's all about Jesus. And now they've kind of changed it to make it something different, but it was all about Christ. What is about this guy brought up in 40-square-acre town Nazareth, and then he shows up, and at about age 30, he starts this ministry. He's kind of a preacher, teacher. He's known as the rabbi, and but what is it about this guy that has impacted generations upon generations? For the last couple thousand years, people have given their everything to follow him and his teachings. See, was it just to follow his teachings? That when you, when you read through the pages of Christian history, it's not that, hey, we're just committed to this message. No, 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 no. We are committed to him. That it's this living Jesus who, yes, he died and then he resurrected and he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. And he gave us another helper known as the Holy Spirit. So what is it about this Jesus? And for those of you that love Jesus, what is it about him that you're willing to give everything up for? For those that don't, what is it about him that annoys you so much, if it does? Or for those that don't, maybe like, well, I like his teachings. I just don't like his followers. Say, I like Christ, but as Christians... Maybe they've missed, us, missed a little something. And for those of you that say that, I might say, you, may, you might be right on some things. See, it's this Jesus that taught us, hey, I want you to love your enemies. Not retaliate, but to love them, to pray for those who persecute. You ever notice how brave we are online? You ever notice someone can post an incredible video? I mean, one of, the, one of my favorite videos to watch, and this sounds weird, is when a little one-year-old just gets the giggles. You ever see one of those, they just start laughing? Isn't, there's nothing quite like the sound of a one-year-old just, just uncontrollably laughing at a cup. Like they just lose it. And then you'll see comments, oh, that's so cute, oh, that's so cute. What's so cute about that chubby baby? And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like what demon has entered into your body that you're that angry? It's like everyone has an opinion, but then people will go back at one another. Isn't it weird? It's like, oh, did you just say that? And you just like, you stretch out, and you just go off. But if it's face-to-face, one-on-one, 
What is it about Jesus that causes so much emotion, that causes commitment from some and to condemn from others? Guys, there must be something about Jesus. So far through John chapter 2, the things that we've seen, John chapter 2, remember, uh, he turns water into wine. John chapter 3, this religious leader, he's kind of a little bit of a legalist, but he was really searching for truth. Nicodemus kind of gets a bad rap. He was actually looking forward to the kingdom of God, and so he shows up to ask Jesus questions at night. And Jesus has this long conversation, and it's in that conversation that we come out with one of the most famous Bible verses that's ever been known. That for God so loved. Yeah, something like that. I know the words were in there. Guys, does that sink in? For God, the one who measures the universe with the span of his hand. The one who's limitless, the one who's outside of time yet lives in, works and moves inside of time with us. That God who said, let there be light. That God who, according to the scriptures, has done these miraculous interventions. Who's always been, no creator has created him. That God so loved us. And how much did he love us? That he gave up his son. Guys, this is amazing. We just think, you know, all we need to do, all we need is love. All we need is love, but how do you, how do you define it? Well, you know what it is. You know what it is. Once you fall into it, there it is. Once you fall into it, oh. Until you start seeing how it's defined by Scripture, love is patient and kind doesn't envy, doesn't boast. Then there's this part in there where it says it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Friends, you cannot claim to love someone if you don't believe in truth. According to the scriptures, you can't say I love this person if you don't believe that there's truth because there is the necessity to not celebrate in things that are evil, but to rejoice in the things that are truth. For God so loved the world that he gave Friends, if we claim to love people, yet we are not generous as our Heavenly Father is, then we are not being loving. Did you see the connection? For God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't take. It's not what do I get out of this as followers of Jesus. And I feel like maybe that's kind of what it turned into. If you follow Jesus and follow his teachings, then you'll have the perfect life, perfect wife, perfect husband, perfect little life that you always wanted. You'll have the perfect job. You'll have the perfect finances. And we're going to get some celebrity or athlete who points to the heavens and thanks God. And that's the proof that Christianity works. Except that the scriptures say, Anyone who desires to live a godly life will experience persecution. We think that the outcome proves whether or not the message is true. The message is true because the God who wrote about it, the God who instilled the story, the God who made it the gospel is true. The circumstances after that are under his sovereign rule and reign and control. That God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We get to John chapter 4, and he meets this Samaritan woman at the well. 
It's in the heat of the day. The disciples, they go off to find some food, and Jesus is just sitting there by the well. One woman shows up. Why would that be just one? If they all need to use the well, why one at this time? Why? Because all the women would go in the morning. Why would she go so late? Because her character was questionable. And so out of embarrassment or shame, she would go later in the afternoon and when it's hottest to get water so she could simply live. And there's Jesus. And he looks at her and says, hey, could you give me something to drink? And she's kind of taken back by it. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Why would you, a Jewish man, be talking to me, a Samaritan woman? Why? Because one, Jewish, pious Jewish men did not speak to women on their own, one-on-one. Two, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. You think racism's just now? Racism, racism has always been since sin entered the world. The root cause is sin. The remedy is Jesus. And so Jesus crosses what? He crosses the racial barrier. He crosses the gender barrier. And he just starts having a conversation. And then he gets her interest. You know, if you, if you knew the one who asked you, and you knew what kind of water I'd have, you'd ask me, and you would never be thirsty again. And in her mind, she's thinking literally, like, I don't have to come back to this well. I don't have to come in the heat of the day. I can just be never thirsty again. She's like, okay. Okay. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes, why don't you go get your husband? I don't, I don't, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus takes her to task. You're right. You've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. Don't you think that's an uncomfortable moment? She goes, you know what? I can tell that you're a prophet. She was almost there. But you Jews say that we're supposed to worship over there. And he says, you know what? Don't put me in with them. Because the Father desires people that will worship him in spirit and truth. And she goes, the Messiah is supposed to come. He says, I who speak to you am he. You know what she does? After he confronts her in her sin, isn't it beautiful? Here she is living in sin, and Jesus still has a conversation with her, still loving her, still entertaining these thoughts and trying to get her to understand the things of the kingdom. Didn't, put the, didn't look at her and go, oh, I can't speak to you because you're a sinner. Oh, I can't because my ears need to be pure and my eyes need to be pure. No, he engaged conversation with her. She felt accepted. How do I know? Yes, he confronted her in her sin, but what was the first thing that she did? She went back home, told everyone, you got to come see this guy. He told me everything I've ever done. Do you think anybody would say, yes, I want some dude to know the deep, dark secrets of me and make him known to everyone, except they came. At some point, some guy goes, you know, we believe because you told us, but now we believe because we've seen him and heard him for ourselves. Guys, that's happened so far. For those of you that aren't followers of Jesus, what does Jesus think about you? He's so flippant in love with you. He loves you. How do I know? And we'll get into this in a couple nights. If you're ever wondering whether Jesus loves you, you go to a cross that he willingly took. That's God's declaration. That's God. That's Jesus proclaiming, screaming through the universe, I love you this much. Guys, he didn't die for the perfected version of us. He died for us while we were enemies of him. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. Friends, Jesus loves you. 
Wouldn't it be great to go back to being five? You remember five? Wasn't that fun? Now, maybe for some, you said, come on, five in my home was, it sucked, Brian. We went eye to eye, knee to knee, and I told you my life. It was horrible, and for that, I am so sorry. Where was God in that? And guys, I can't answer those questions. But what I can tell you is yet, when we don't understand why, at some point, God might actually show how he took the brokenness of you and whoever hurt you. And he moved you and did, and he, like, he worked and he healed and he's going to do this work to create who he wants you to be, which is the greatest version of you. But at five, maybe some of you learned this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. Guys, that's it. And then we get smart. We get older and smart. We need all the proof. And yet Jesus gives props to kids if you had, if you had faith like a child. You just simply believed it. You simply knew it, that he loves you. See, we look at the truth of God. We look at the truth of the scriptures. And we get over here to John chapter 5. Just a couple verses, verse 39, and then we'll jump into six after this. You search the scriptures. He's speaking to a bunch of religious leaders, and he's kind of confronting them because their knowledge of the scriptures did not lead to humility. It actually lead, it led to pride. And that, think about it. The ones whose job was to recognize God when he showed up, to recognize the Messiah, hated him. They hated him. The ones who hated Jesus most were the religious the ones who loved being around him, you know who it was? Sinners. I mean, they showed up, they flocked around him. They loved being around him. And so followers of Jesus, what's happened that they can't stand being around his followers? So he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is them that bear witness about me. Friends, do you know how arrogant a statement that is if it were true? For Jesus to go, you know this fatty part of the Bible? You know this part that a lot of us never read, we don't open it? Yeah, all that is talking about me. But you search that thinking that in them you're going to find life. All the rules, all the traditions, all the commandments, just do them because you're supposed to. All of these things point to Jesus. Guys, think about the commandments of God. We sit there and go, yeah, he takes away all the fun. He takes away all the joy. Guys, think about it. God created joy. God created joy. We think that we know better. Guys, you ever gone to a one-year-old birthday party and wonder why you're there? <laughs> Moms are like, don't you dare go there. The one-year-old has no clue why anyone's there. Has no clue. People bring gifts. Kids just sitting there, one-year-old birthday party outfit, just looking fly. Like, this kid is ready to go. And all of a sudden, as people are walking through, it's like, oh, happy birthday. It's like, it doesn't matter. But it's like, all these people, it's like, we get to have some fun. It's so all that, I mean, everyone's just having a good time. You have lunch, and all of a sudden, it's time for cake. The first time this kid's ever had cake. So here's this kid just dressed normally, and all of a sudden, in like half a second, he's half naked in a diaper sitting in his high chair. What the? Isn't that for some of you your worst dream ever? It's like all of a sudden you wake up and you're just in front of all these people that you don't know. They've got cameras. You're sitting there in your chonies going, why am I here? But there's the one-year-old. 
And they bring out a small little cake or a cupcake, put it in front. He's like, and it's like no one tells him what to do. It's like you put it down like it's a bomb. <laughs> go, go. So the kid's like, what am I? And so they touch it. It's like, huh? Mm. And then there's a little bit on the fingers. Like, what do you got to do? You got to get rid of that. And then they take it and their eyes are opened to everything wonderful. Or they look at their parents and they go, why have you kept this from me? And all of a sudden, a little bigger, then all of a sudden the hand, yeah, and everyone thinks it's cute. Guys, can you imagine if you did that now at your age? <laughs> I love cake. <laughs> no one's sitting there going, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You're a tiger. It's like nobody cares. But when you're one, half naked, in your chonies, in a high chair, that's life. It's like, and then just the face plant. Shabam! <laughs> then it's time for the presence. Opens the best it can. People are helping him. Shows the gift. Takes the gift out of the box. Then the kid takes the gift and throws it to the side to play with the box. <laughs> Guys, a one-year-old birthday could be the cheapest gift ever. Just bring paper. They just... They want the simple. They don't understand the rest. So think about it. If, I, if I'm at that party and I give the kid the choice between a $100 bill and a can of soup, which one will, it, which one will he or she take? Think about it. Paper or soup, a can. You can roll it. You can smash it. You can throw it at people. They freak out. This thing, I don't want that. Friends, I would push a one-year-old out of the way for the $100 bill. <laughs> Gently, but I would nudge them along. Why? Because I understand the value of the $100 bill. My fear is that for some of you, you've settled thinking you know better, and all that you have is a can of soup, and you don't realize what you're giving up. You think you know because it makes noise and it's shiny. And you can play with it and do stuff with it. And all the while, Jesus is going, you are settling for not that which is life, but existing. You do not understand the value of what I'm giving to you. So the commandments of God, what are they for? To keep us from joy or to move us deeper into it? Friends, we have to see the commandments of God as those things from a loving father for our joy and for our good. I use this example all the time. That one's just too as well. But when Tyler was a baby and he's just starting to crawl, before that, he just kind of laid around. And I was like, that, this is easy. This is fine. And then when the kids get mobile, I've, I haven't been rested since, guys. Exhausted. But especially, they, just, they start crawling. And we just had a conviction. We're not going to baby-proof the house. Welcome to our home. You're going to learn some rules. But therefore, you're good. And then there was this one day. He's, I remember he's sitting by the a little coffee table, just the two of us. And he, he sees the thing on the wall that things get plugged into. And he goes, that's, that's mine. He didn't say it, but you could see it in him. So he starts crawling, little diaper butt hanging out. And as he gets closer, I just said, hey, Ty, no. And he looks back at me. And before that, I thought, you know, I don't think this kid has a sin nature. He may be the second Messiah. Until I saw that look in his face. He's like, it's almost like he was saying, I respectfully disagree. <laughs> and for some reason, in the mind of a crawling baby, they go, this, this goes in that. That's where it fits. 
So he starts to reach for the outlet, and I just get out of the chair. Whack! You hit his hand. Absolutely, I hit his hand. So he's like, what the? I said, dude, that was Jesus. I'm just joking. I didn't say it. <laughs> he looks right and said, hey, I said, no, don't do it. He's got a little more oomph in him. And I'm sitting there going, dude, this is not going to end well for you. I am not afraid of you. I can destroy you. I'll go all day. You want some? He goes over again. Whack. 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 And all of a sudden, when his hand's too ready, he's like, nah. Sitting there, diaper butt, legs all weird. You ever notice how a baby sits like? I walked away feeling pretty, pretty satisfied. I just beat down a one-year-old. Bam! Somebody said, there, go, you know what? Kids have to learn. Like, what should I have done? Hold on, hold on. That won't fit. Be right back. Bring out a butter knife. Come here, Dale. Oh, come here, Ty. Grab onto that. Get it. And when you get there, just hold on. Just go. Do it. Because everybody's got to learn because that's what a loving father does. Absolutely not. Whoever said yes, don't have kids. <laughs> Why is the rule in my house when they were little? Don't put your finger in an outlet. Because I want them to live. It's simple. It was for their good. It was for their joy. And for some of you, you've looked at the commandments of God and thought, God's keeping me from who I really am. No, no, no. He's trying to move you to who he wants you to be. And you actually think that you know better than the eternal God of the universe who put it all together. Brian, if it's so good, why is it so jacked up? Because we broke it. You want to know how God defined everything when he was done creating everything? Just keep, there, keep your finger there. You don't have to go back to Genesis. We're going to go back to John chapter 5 and 6 in a second. When God looked at everything, in verse 31 of Genesis, when God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He said, okay, so it's very good, but it's not like perfect. It's not great. Here's what that word means in the Hebrew. You ready? It means good, merry, pleasant, desirable, in order, usable, efficient, friendly, kind, morally good, excellent, happy, and right. That's what that word means. In other words, he created it perfect. Everything fit. There was compliments to one another. Think about it. Light and dark, opposites complement. Sun and moon, opposites complement. Land and sea, opposites complement. Male, female, opposites complement. God created it all in order perfectly. And two chapters later, we broke it. And for the rest, since that time, we've blamed him. And yet in his grace, he has still pursued us. So he says, you keep looking the scriptures to find what? Find life. You think that in them you're going to find life, but all of them point to me. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Verse 41, but I do not, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. That's a very straightforward statement for Jesus to confront the religious leaders with. And then we get down to chapter 6, and you watch what it is that Jesus does. It's one of my favorite passages. Verse 1, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. 
I think it's so important to look at this. This large crowd is following him, but what was the reason? Because of the miracles that he was doing. The follower of Jesus, why do you follow Jesus? Is it because of the miracles that he does or the things that he provides? Or it's just you need to be with Jesus because you just love Jesus. See, the crowd, the large crowd, they'll follow Jesus so long as Jesus will give them stuff. But the disciple will climb mountains just to be with Jesus. That's the difference. Are you in the crowd or are you a disciple? Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, guys, according to the passage, there's about 5,000 men. And this is what, it's the feeding of the 5,000. How many of you guys have heard, that, heard of that story, the feeding of the 5,000? Now, think about it. If there's 5,000 men, does that mean that Jesus looked at the women and kids said, no, not for you. Guy club right now. So picture this more like the feeding of the 20,000 plus people. So think about it. You're, stand, you're standing next to Jesus. I'll be Philip. Jesus is here, and as this mound of 20,000 plus people come, and Jesus just looks at me and goes, hey, Philip, yeah. Dude, they look hungry. I know. Huh, wonder what they're going to do. And then this smile comes on Jesus and goes, hey, how are we going to feed them all? What the? Um, I don't know. Go back to the passage. Verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip, Philip answered him, 200 denarii, that's, I think that's 200 days worth of wages, worth of bread, would not be enough to, for each of them to get even a little. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. There you go. There's your solution. <laughs> Can you imagine Andrew going, I got it. I see the 20,000 plus, but I, you know what I got? Little boy's lunch. Little boy's lunch, five loaves, two fish. Jesus is sitting there going, all right. Now, when people go, okay, maybe it wasn't a miracle. How big were the loaves? I'm pretty sure if they belonged to a little boy, even if his name was Bubba, I don't think it was enough to feed 20,000 plus people. How big were the fish? What if they're swordfish? Probably not going to feed 20,000 people. And I don't know a lot of kids that walk around with that much in their backpack. What you got to picture is a little boy's lunch, a little poor boy's lunch, the bar, their barley loaves are like the size of Twinkies, so it's more like, hey, I know there's 20,000 plus people, but I got five Twinkies and two sardines. Let's do this. <laughs> he had it until he said, but. Verse 9, do you see it? But. But what are they for, what are they for so many? Oh, he had the faith of a child for a second. And you sit there and go, how did he get a little boy's lunch? It doesn't say it in the passage, but I like to play. Just, God, how did that work out? Like, I want, the, I want to rent the movies connected to the Gospels one day when I get to be before Jesus. And then I want him to sit next to me and tell, him every, tell me everything he was thinking and feeling in the moment. Do you think that Andrew just looked at the kids like, hey, give me that, shut up, and walks away? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or what if the little boy's sitting close by and he looks at his lunch? And he looks at Andrew going, he can use it. And Andrew goes, yeah. And he gets to, what if he gets to Jesus, a little boy's sitting there or standing next to him? And Andrew goes, hey, there's a 
Little boy's lunch. He's like, yeah. What if he's eight? Yeah, that's mine. And then he, the little boy hears him say, but what will that do for so many? And what if Jesus had to look at Andrew and goes, you know what, Andrew? I need you and the other disciples, the other men, I need you to go and get all the 20,000 plus people, just put them in groups of, I don't know, 50, and have them sit down. Little boy, come here. And what if he looked at the little boy and he just gave him a wink and, and said something like, watch this. And then he gives thanks to God, he gives thanks to the Father, and he just starts breaking the pieces. And the disciples have to go out and take it to 20,000 plus people, and the Bible says that they all had so much food that they were all full, and then there were leftovers. You imagine that little boy going home? <laughs> what if mom wasn't there? He goes running, mom, it was so fun today, this is what happened. He tells the whole story. There's like, there's like a gazillion people. Because 20,000, that's a gazillion. There's like a gazillion people, mom. And they were all hungry. And so Jesus wondered how he did it. I gave him, I gave him my lunch you made, mom. Mom goes, what? Did they like it? Most of them. They were all full. Guys, isn't it amazing that Jesus can do that? And for some of you to sit there and go, yeah, Brian, but you actually believe that miracle happened? Friends, that's JV compared to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If I can believe Jesus coming back from the dead, I'm pretty sure that I can see him multiply food. I just wish he did it in lock-ins when I was a youth pastor. Buy one pizza and just go, this is for everyone. I'll prove it. Okay, wham, 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 wham. Just, hey, how you like me now? Shut it, see ya, and then walk out. And then after this, you get down to verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they're frightened. Guys, in Mark chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, Jesus is actually in the boat with them. Storm hits. Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. And they all start freaking out. You know it's bad when fishermen who are used to the seas, they start freaking out. They run to Jesus and wake him up, say, don't you care if we drown? And then Jesus gets up and he looks at wind and water and says, stop it. And it's like, sorry, we were just playing. And then it gets all calm. Isn't it amazing? Jesus was right there with them. Jesus told them all to get in the boat. He gets in the boat. Then he falls asleep on them. Have you ever been in that place where you felt like God told you, hey, I want you to do this, and when you got there, didn't it feel like God fell asleep on you? And you started freaking out. And what do you do? You feel like you have to wake him up because it's all over. And Jesus just comes and goes, I got this. Shh. Friends, the storm is over when the storm is over. But on this one, the disciples have to go before him. He's not in the boat with them. He's on a mountain praying. This storm hits. They're struggling at the oars, trying to get across. And it says that Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And they were frightened. Of course they were frightened. Guys, if you're sitting there in the middle of the night seeing things coming at you on the ocean. Guys, think about it. You're sitting there going, I'm not afraid of anything in the ocean. Have you ever had a piece of seaweed just kind of scrape your leg? 
You're just sitting there playing, ah, this is great. What's that going to die? Ah, you just freak out. Because a little seaweed grazed across your calf and you're sitting there going, Loch Ness Monster, he's going to eat my face. <laughs> if you're on a boat and you're struggling and all of a sudden you see, you see something and it looks like it's a person that you know walking on water, but you're not even sure if it's him. It's just something walking on top of the water. But he said to them, it's I, don't be afraid. And then there's this part that's not mentioned here in John. It's not mentioned in Mark. Only Matthew records it. Peter, good old Peter. Remember Peter? Speaks before he thinks about anything. He goes, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you on the water. They all thought it was a ghost. And here's Peter. Hey, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come to you on the water. As if a ghost couldn't lie. Can you imagine the ghost going, if it was... I'm Jesus. Come on. And Jesus jumped, or Peter jumps in and just dies. And how many, be honest, if you're Jesus walking on the water and all the disciples are freaking out, how many of you would mess with them just a little bit? Wouldn't you? Like they're freaking out. You're going, oh. You grab a swordfish, throw it at them, something. But it says immediately, he's like, no, no, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus just simply says this, come on. Can you imagine all the other disciples going, go on. Go on, water walker. But what did it, what did it feel like for Peter and look like for the other disciples? And he goes, okay. He puts his foot over and he stands and it's solid. And as he starts to take the other, the guys are like, huh, can you believe this? And he takes his other foot, and they're like, I want the... Peter puts the foot down, and what if he looks at them going, <laughs> And he looks at Jesus, and what if Jesus is like, yeah! We picture him just so boring. What if Jesus is like, come on! And he takes his first step away, and then the next, and then he stops walking like he's in a wedding. And he just starts to walk. Guys, what did that feel like? And all of a sudden, the Bible says they started to notice the wind and the waves. And he began to sink, but what did he do? He cried out to Jesus. It says immediately Jesus grabbed him by the arm and pulled him up. And he says, why did you doubt? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I used to picture Jesus just angry. It's like, why did you doubt? Because isn't that how some of you picture him? Like anytime you make a mistake, he's like, come on! I don't picture that anymore, not because I prefer a quote-unquote nicer Jesus. I don't think Jesus is always nice. I just think he's always good. But what if he just looks like, Peter, why'd you doubt, man? You were doing it. I don't know. But I love the fact that Jesus walked back with them and got in the boat with them. But friends, when you take that passage in John chapter 6 and you connect it to Matthew chapter 14, verse 33... And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Friends, I don't know what your life's like, like right now. I have no clue. Maybe for some, this is mountaintop moment for you and your family. Everything's fantastic. But maybe for others of you, you feel like you're in the storm. 
It didn't feel like Jesus fell asleep on you like he's in the boat. It's like he sent you on ahead and you're going through it and you're straining. You're trying to make and you're going, there's no purpose in this. I have asked and I've prayed and I've waited and nothing's changed. Are you telling me that there's something good that's supposed to come out of this? And I say absolutely. Friends, you ever notice you don't need a miracle unless there's a crisis? And when you say, God, I want to see you better, would you reveal more of who you are? Why do we think that he won't use the storm? Because what was the end result for the disciples who maybe got used to Jesus? They worshipped. They worshipped him. What did the storm do? It moved his disciples closer to Jesus and revealing, the, revealing Jesus more to them of who he really was, where their response to him in the storm, in the boat, was, we worship you. So friends, if you're in it, guys, I'm telling you, he's going he's gonna to come through. He does every time. We just sang it. He won't. He won't fail. He's never failed. Guys, the Bible says that he who began the good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ. The reason that you know Jesus is because the Father wooed you. For those of you who follow Christ, the reason you know him is not because you found him, but the Father wooed you. He called you. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. You know you can't save yourself. And then you declare him as Lord and all that is faith that God gives to you, but you have to respond to it. And how that works, I have no clue. But he wooed you. But what if, for some of you, that storm that you face that you feel is just pushing you away, what if that's the thing that God is using to draw you even closer? To draw you closer to the place where you'll see who he is. And you'll worship. Guys, when you look at the life of Jesus, it is absolutely mind-blowing. In John chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Guys, in Matthew chapter 4, there's this part where Jesus calls his first disciples. He looks at Simon and Andrew and says, Hey, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. There was something about Jesus. They go, okay, they dropped everything. They dropped their nets, which is their livelihood. It's their job. It's how they made their money. They drop everything to go after Jesus. Can you imagine Peter going home and explaining it to his wife? Babe, I just got to let you know I'm, I'm quitting. Well, what are you going to do? Just going to hang out with some guys. You good with that? We're all going to grow beards and walk around. It's going to be great. They go from Peter, it was a little more than that. They go, they go from Simon Andrew. Simon Andrew and Jesus, they go, he finds James and John. He's like, hey, come on, follow me. Says they left their nets and their dad in the boats and took off after him. You know, you want to know the things that they got to see? Let me see, like in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And they went throughout all Galilee, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics. He healed them. Mark chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages on what it is that Jesus did. There's a paralyzed guy. He's got at least four friends. Jesus is teaching in the house. Most people think that it's Peter's house. So Peter's there. It's packed. 
So imagine these friends, they show up trying to get their friend to Jesus so that he will heal him. But it's packed, they can't get to him. Everyone's listening, they're blown away by the way that he teaches. So these friends, instead of saying, they're going, we can't do it. And what if the guy on the, what if the, guy on the cot, the paralyzed guy goes, guys, it's okay, no worries. But the friend's like, nah, there's always a way. Let's think about it, what can we do? One person throws that, nah, that's not gonna work. Next guy goes, I know this is crazy. Let's just jump on this guy's roof, dig a hole through it. Then we'll lower him down. Who's in? People are like, yeah. You get, I, get to, I get a little demo? Yeah, demo. Demo day. Let's do it. Paralyzed guy, maybe he's sitting there going, I don't want to do that. And they go, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Brrr, they go running up. And all of a sudden, they get to the roof. they're digging through. Jesus is teaching. And I used to picture Jesus getting all frustrated because this one little piece of the roof just kind of drops in front of him. He's like, how dare you break up my teaching? I don't picture it anymore. Why? Because what, what are they doing? What's it called? Faith. They start digging through Simon's his ceiling and his roof. And can you imagine him over here going, what the heck? And then Jesus looks back. He's kind of ticked. Like, or Peter's frustrated. And Jesus looks back with this grin. And Peter's like, <laughs> he turns away, no. Now there's enough room. And what if the forehead's just kind of leaning, going, oh, it's clear. No one's paying attention to Jesus because he's not talking. He's just, just waiting. And all of a sudden, this guy gets lowered down. Can you imagine how awkward if you're him? How y'all doing? I'm not sure why I'm here. People in front who got there early, they showed up to chapel early to get the front row. This dude just drops in front of him. This person's supposed to get healed first. I'm like, I'm so sorry I'm cutting in line. So sorry. And then Jesus looked and says, dude, your sins are forgiven. Great. That's why I'm here. I'll just lay here until you're done. Thank you. Appreciate that. And then he looks at the people. He goes, so that you know that I have the power to forgive sin. Why? Because only God can forgive sin. And yet when Jesus said that, he was declaring himself to be God. But so that all of you know that I have the power to forgive sin, he looks at the man. He says, do me a favor. I want you to sit up, pick up your mat, and walk. And what did it look like? <laughs> all the, friend, the four friends who just got their heads, I can't hear. What's he saying? And all of a sudden he sits up. All the friends going, oh. He picks up his mat and stands up. People start to whisper, what the heck is going on? The friends are like, we do it. They're looking at the dude. They, hey, great plan. Sorry, Peter. This was awesome. As he starts to walk out, can you imagine the friends trying to get down the roof as quick as they can? One dude trips and goes paralyzed. That would suck. <laughs> and what if when they got to the bottom, and they're looking at their friend, their friends, and that friend who was paralyzed before he met Jesus was changed completely. Why? Guys, how does that apply to us? Because I'm convinced of this. When you meet Jesus, it is impossible for him to leave you unchanged. He will change you. He will heal you. Why? Because he loves you way too much to leave you there. Whatever it takes, he loves you to move you to where he wants you to be. Can you imagine those four friends just grabbing onto their friend, maybe a little bit lightly, don't break them, we don't know if it's real. But what if the guy goes, you know what I really want to do? 
I want to race home. And wouldn't it be just like Jesus to make sure this guy ran like a cheetah? He's like, ready, set, bam, takes off. <laughs> Jesus loved the little kids. He'd welcome them. He says, don't hinder them from coming to me. Guys, he ate in the presence of sinners. We sit there and go, there's no big deal to that. Guys, you realize in that culture, if I shared a meal with anyone, I was telling that person by that act, I am your friend. Today, we can eat with anyone, especially if they'll pay for us. If they pay, it's like, I don't even like you, but yeah, you can pay. But to them, for Jesus to sit with, quote unquote, tax collectors and sinners, all the religious guys over going, I can't believe if he really knew what they were like, and Jesus is sitting there going, hmm, yeah, I like them because I came for them. And Jesus came for you. And he came for me. Friends, if all that Jesus did was some nice miracles to meet some physical needs, to, feel some, or to feed some people that were hungry and to give them something to drink, if he just did these nice little things, everyone would have left him alone. So I keep doing it. That's great. And for some of you, you actually think that that's the call of the Christian only. That all we're supposed to do is just be nice. Take the words of St. Francis of Assisi where he says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And we go, I'm going to do that. But here's the problem. We're supposed to proclaim the truth of the gospel and that only comes through the words we speak. But we, of course, can back it up with the deeds that we do. So let's not take a phrase, take it out of context in the way that the person actually meant it because we're too afraid to bring Jesus up. See, Jesus has to be worth it for you to give up everything to follow him. He has to be worth it. Is he worth it to you? Because for me, when I look at the cross that he took, the cross is God's declaration. Real quick. I say this as lovingly as I can. Friends, you're not worthy. I'm not worthy of the grace of God, the gift of God. We're not worthy of it. People are like, my mom says I am. She doesn't know what she's talking about on this part. Friends, we're not worthy, but the cross is God's declaration that you're worth it. Do you see the difference? Like, I'm not worthy to have relationship with God. I'm not worthy to be made right with him, to walk in right standing and forgiveness, to be seen as holy by the Father because I'm in Christ. I'm not worthy, and yet God will look at me and say, yes, you're not worthy, but you are worth it. That God invaded from eternity, invaded the planet because you and I are worth it. Oh, what a great God we have. What an amazing Jesus we serve. And what he taught has changed societies and cultures ever since he spoke it. No one has ever had more impact on the planet than Jesus, and no one ever will. It's all about him. So as we close up, as the worship team comes back out, we're going to close with a song. And here's what I want to invite those of you who are followers of Jesus to do. First, if you're a follower of Christ, here's what I want to encourage us to do, myself included. Let's worship Jesus in a manner worthy of Jesus.
Now that for some, and I like that, I love, I love that Mia brought that up, or maybe it was Sarah, I can't remember who said it. If you need to sit, that's worthy for you, like right now you just have to sit in this and not sing a word. Do that. If a person next to you sits down and doesn't say a word, don't drag them up. Maybe that's where they need to be. Maybe for others of you, you've never done this. You don't usually stand in your worship services, or you've never put your hands up. You don't even understand it. It's like, what are you doing? Field goal. Like, what is this? Why do we do this? What if it's like this? When a little kid is afraid of something, what if they turn around and look at dad and go, pick me up? Or what if the little kid goes, I can't, like, what if they're to praise? Like, I can't say, dad, pick me up. Or what if a little kid goes, I just love you, dad. Pick me up. Do you see it? Just lifting holy hands to God because I love him. And maybe for some, you've never done that. You don't have to do that. But maybe for some of you tonight, you have to do that. But we worship Jesus in a manner worthy of Jesus. For those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, you want to you know, you know what I invite you to do? Sing the song. Like say, say, God, I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you the rest of this week. Or God, would you meet me here? Or have conversations. Sing the song. Stand up. Do whatever you want. But what if you even ask the question, how come you're making me go through this? Why is it I feel like this and yet I jump into what I'm thinking or feeling? I don't feel fulfilled, so why am I having to go? Maybe you just get honest with God. And what if in that moment, the Holy Spirit, boom, reveals? And what if in that moment, you get it? And all of a sudden, you start to worship because you surrender to Jesus as Lord. I invite you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for what you taught. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for the miracles that confirmed who you are, who you were when you did them. We thank you for your love and concern for us. We thank you for storms to go through because they cause us to come to a place of surrendered worship before you. Thank you that you have never failed us and you won't. You won't. You will never, ever, ever fail us. Just help us to trust you when it doesn't make sense. So God, in this act of praise and worship, to you be all the praise all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees said, amen. Love you all more than you know.